Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. If you would be, open your Bibles to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter. In just a few minutes, we will uh, continue a study that we started a few weeks ago as uh, on Sunday evenings, occasionally, we'll be looking through uh, passages out of the book of Ephesians. We are so thankful that uh, Taylor Gillespie was baptized this afternoon uh, at about 4.30 or 5 o'clock this afternoon. And we rejoice with her and with Jennifer and Jamie and Reagan and all the family. And let's be sure and encourage her in every way that we can. Uh, last night, several of us were uh, invited and enjoyed very much a meet and greet with Amy and Nick Fowler that was telling about their work that they plan on being involved in in Brazil. They are going there uh, probably in the beginning of 2009. They're already working, putting their team together and making all of their plans. And uh, let's continue to pray for them and encourage them in every way that we can. Uh, we are so thankful that we have one of our young ladies that grew up here uh, that is planning to give her life and mission work. And we want to encourage all of our young people, if God has given you the ability uh, to use your life in spreading God's word, uh, consider uh, missionary work, uh, consider full-time ministry. We want to encourage you to do whatever you can do uh, to spread the kingdom of God. We are thankful that uh, Bay and his family and the Harper family are with us. Uh, It's always good to have new families with us, and we rejoice with that and look forward to worshiping and serving together. Do keep in mind the Men's Summit in a couple of weekends from now. That should be a tremendous blessing for us, and make your plans to be there. Mark your calendars now. There was a publisher who was very wealthy. He collected art. As a matter of fact, he collected so much art that he really didn't know exactly what he had, and he would put much of it in storage. He read about a particular piece of art that he just felt like he had to have it, but yet it was rare. He contacted one of his agents, and he told him to search across the world and find that piece of art. And this is a true story. After months and months of searching, the agent decided to go back and look in the man's own personal catalog of art. And filed away in his art collection was the very piece for which the man had been searching. How many times do you and I have things at our disposal? We have things in our life and we have things which are blessings that God offers that we never stop and use to ours or God's advantage. I want to encourage you tonight as we really look at a prayer. That's very appropriate as this time of year we usually do several lessons on prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. That's very appropriate since we're coming out of the Thanksgiving weekend as we celebrate it here in America. But it also is a thanksgiving prayer prayed by Paul in Ephesians. And that's a series that we're going through right now. So we literally will cover this lesson tonight from three different angles. But the beauty of this is it's the opportunity to listen to Paul pray. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just hear Paul pray? How far would you drive if you had the opportunity tonight to hear Paul lead a prayer? preach a sermon. 
Isn't it wonderful that we can open the pages of God's Word and we can hear his, some of His sermons? We can listen to some of His prayers. When we look at the first part of Ephesians, the first chapter, we're reminded that the praise and the honor that we are to give the Godhead. Several weeks ago, we looked at that lesson. As we looked at that lesson, we were reminded that in the book of Ephesians, we have the heritage and the life that we are to live in Christ. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 primarily deal with the fact that if we live our life in Christ, these will be blessings. This will be the heritage that we will enjoy. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, we see that if Christ is living in us, this is the life that we'll live because of the fact that Christ is living in us. As we look back here in Ephesians, the first chapter, I'd like for you to note, beginning at verse 15, 15 and 16, Paul says in Ephesians 1, Therefore I also, after I heard, now notice the two things, of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. It would probably been about six years since Paul had lived with these individuals. You can imagine after that length of time had passed, and you can imagine because of the great love that he had for the church at Ephesus, he'd want to hear, how are they doing? How are they doing? They had a huge challenge before them. The great temple of Diana was there. You remember the great riot that broke out, and, and the crowd was so easily stirred against them, not even knowing really what they were stirred about. There were many concerns, no doubt, that Paul would leave with them. You remember when he met with the elders of Ephesus in Acts the 20th chapter. He was concerned for the false teaching that might come in. And then we read this about six years later. He's thankful that their faith in Jesus Christ is still sound. It's still what it ought to be. And he's thankful that their love for the saints that are easy to get along with No, notice there, he said, all saints. You have love for all saints. Notice it's not just the Jewish saints or the Gentile saints. It's not just the rich saints or the poor saints. You see, when we look through other scriptures, such as in 1 Corinthians 11 or James, the first chapter, we see that there were problems in the early church among some congregation with prejudiced thoughts. Here, Paul is so thankful that the church of Ephesus is a church who, in their relationship with God, was what it ought to be. They were faithful to Jesus. And their relationship to each other with the saints, they had love for all saints. It's what it ought to be. And because of this, he did not cease to thank God for them. We mentioned this last week, this particular point, but let's mention it again since Paul brings it up here. When's the last time you prayed for your brothers and sisters by name and you thank God for the love that they have for each other and the faith that they have toward Jesus Christ? Friends, this is the godly example we see here. And we see some very specific things that he thanks God for them. He doesn't just mention their name and the fact that they have faith. He mentions at least four things that he's thankful for in their faith. Let's unfold these here as as we look in verse 17. Notice as he says, "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Number one, he's thankful for the fact and prayerful for the fact that they would know Him. Now, how are they going to know Him? If you look back there in verse 17, he pointed out the fact that it would be by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. If you will, turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Let's see another time that Paul writes about a way that we can know God. In in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, in verse 9, he says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now this is 1 Corinthians 2, and now in verse 10. Where's this going to come from? But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Friends, please get this simple point. Anything that you and I know about God, It's because God has revealed it to us. Not because we felt it. Not because we thought it. Not because we said, if I were God. You know what God would do in the situation that you're going to find yourself in tomorrow? The only way you can answer that question is to know the God that's revealed in the Scriptures. You say, well, I just wish I knew what God would do in the situation I have with my family right now. The only way we're going to know that is to know how God is revealed to us in the Scriptures. Friends, we live in a religious culture where a lot of things are said about God that God never said about Himself. Our goal ought to be to say the Holy Spirit has revealed to us so much about God. I want to learn everything about God that I can. Now, back closer to the text, we're in Ephesians 1, but I would like for you to turn over to Ephesians 4 and 15 and 16 as we still think about knowing Him. And when we first read this, you may say, well, now, how is this knowing Him? We are to know God for a reason. It's not just an intellectual reason. We do need to know Him from an intellectual standpoint. But that's not the end. We haven't achieved it. Whenever you say, hey, give me a thousand question test and I can answer everything about God. And then you say, well, that's the end. No. God wants us to know about Him because He wants it to change our life. Notice how this is said in, uh, further in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4th chapter, look at verse 15 and 16. He says, but speaking the truth, you see, that's where we find out about God is in the truth and the word of God is truth. Speaking the truth in love, that's the motive that God sent his son. It's the motive by which we live out the truth. Speaking the truth in love may grow up. That's you and I may grow up in all things. That's in everything we do into him who is the head Christ. Now pause there for a minute. 
Why do we need to learn the truth about who God is? Why do we need to learn the truth about the love of God and how to live out the truth? Because we're on a journey of striving to grow up in Him. Paul prays for the brethren of, Ephesians, of Ephesus in Ephesians, the first chapter, and he wants them to know God. Not so they can be intellectual geniuses. He wants them to know God so they can grow up to be just like Jesus. How awesome it is when almost by nature, because it's our spiritual nature, our reaction to something is immediately, that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus would say. That's what Jesus would think. Because we know, we know Jesus so well. Let's see a second thing as we go back to Ephesians, the first chapter. This time we'll read verse 18. His first prayer for them, or first item in the prayer, was that they would know Him. But also the second thing is that they would know the hope of His calling. Look at verse 18. And 18, continuing the same sentence. Remember, a few weeks ago when we talked about Ephesians, we noted the fact that one of the things Paul is known for is for his long sentences. And that's exactly what we're in the middle of a prayer here with a long sentence. So in 18 he says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. We just sung about that. The eyes of your heart or the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling which are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, which we'll address that last part in just a moment. But notice, our eyes need to be enlightened. Why? So we know the hope of His calling. What does it enlighten mean? Enlighten literally means raise, to shine down. In other words, our heart needs to have rays of understanding. What are we understanding? The hope of our calling. What is the hope of our calling? That's dealing with what we hope to obtain from God in the future. That's our eternal home. He literally is talking about here that our eyes need to be enlightened about our future as Christians. We can't enlighten ourselves about this. That's faith in God. It takes faith to be able to believe that there's a heaven when we've never seen a heaven. It takes faith to believe that Jesus will return a second time and judge us when we've never seen that second return or the judgment. It takes faith to believe that that judgment will be based upon the standard of truth. All of this is a part of the faith that is the one hope of our calling. When you look in Ephesians, the second chapter in verse 12, we see what it was like without hope. You see there in 2 and 12 that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Can you imagine life without God? Can you imagine going to bed tonight, putting your head on the pillow and saying, I know at this moment I have no hope. Or maybe if there's no faith in your life, you put your head on the pillow tonight and say, I don't know what would be after death. I don't have anything to hope in that would be positive, that would be eternally blessed. Look, if you will, just a little further in the fourth chapter. Do you remember there in the fourth chapter in verse 4? In the fourth chapter in verse 4, we have the seven ones, what I believe are the hardest passages in all of the Bible. The seven ones take out any choice that we would have. 
There's only one of each one of these. We don't get a choice about these. If we're going to follow the Lord, this is the way it is. Well, how many churches are there? He begins in Forbes saying there's one body. We don't have a choice of churches. There's one. How many Holy Spirits are there? There's one Spirit. Now notice the next one. As you were called in one hope of your calling. Friends, if we're going to have that hope of eternal life that Paul is praying for them, I want you to know that hope. I want your eyes to be enlightened. I want you to be able to see the future and know that it's out there for you. There's only one way that that's going to happen. Now, even though that is in the future, and if you will be turning to 1 Peter, the first chapter as we're making this point, even though that is out in the future, he's saying we can know that. We can know that we have that hope. We can know it because of something that's happened in the past. Do you remember on that early Sunday morning that in the scriptures when Jesus was resurrected from the dead? And you remember not all saw him. You remember the women, they saw him early that morning, but not everyone saw him early that morning. You remember the two men on the road to Emmaus? Remember how they lost faith? You remember that Peter was one of those ones that lost faith? And you remember when Peter regained his hope in the Lord again? I love this passage because here is a time, years later, Peter writes and he says, I want to tell you about a time that my hope was restored. Let's look at this in 1 Peter, 1 chapter, verse 3. And he's going to look back to the resurrection, but also see the fact that once he does that, it restores his hope, which leads him to the future. Here's how it reads. 1 Peter 1, 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. You see, he had faith in Jesus once, but then he lost faith when Jesus died. But what brought back that faith again? Begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if you want to talk about the past, Paul, how did your hope ever become restored? And he says, when I saw Jesus resurrected, my hope became alive again. What does that mean for you, Peter? Notice where this goes, verse 4. To an inheritance. Now we're talking about a future. Incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Many characteristics there describing that heavenly home. And one of those that's beautiful is it's reserved. You and I can have the hope of the calling because it is reserved for us if, verse 5 is true, if we're living our life kept through faith in His salvation. Our faith, where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. When you and I live our lives through the direction of God's Word, when we know that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and when we know that we have that hope of the calling, that there is a future that's bright for us. Paul's prayer is that they would know God and that they would know the hope of his calling. But look now as we go into the last part of verse 18. 
We read it just a moment ago, but as he comes out of verse eight, the middle of 18, talking about the hope of his calling, notice how that ends. What, we're knowing, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now this is a very interesting wording here. Notice the glory that he wants them to know. It is the riches of glory because with God, all things that are good are abundant. And so it is abundant riches and glory. But did you notice that phrase where he says, for an inheritance in the saints? And so he says, the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints. Whose inheritance? He's not talking about our inheritance. Whose inheritance? His inheritance. What are we? Surely not. Yeah. That's what Paul is saying. We are God's inheritance. God looks at you and I, and Paul prays about it here and says, I want you to know the glorious riches that you are to God. You are a part of God's inheritance. Now there may be some of you here that have such confidence that this next point may almost go over your head. But now let me talk to the rest of us. The rest of us sometimes wonder if there's any real value in our life. Am I really worth anything? If I left this earth, would anybody really miss me? Would it really matter? Do I have any worth? There may be someone in this room that says, if you just knew what I've done in the past, there's not anything, not anyone that would count me of worth or value. If you just knew that I came from a family with no reputation and I don't have very much to offer anybody, I'm really no good. As a child of God, no child of God can ever say that. A child of God needs to know the riches of the glory of being God's inheritance. This is similar to what is said in Titus the second chapter. In Titus the second chapter in verse 14 He has begun this paragraph in 11 talking about the grace of God in verse 12 teaching us uh, to deny the the, uh, ungodly things and to move toward the righteous things. And then in 13, he speaks of the hope of the calling just like we, Paul in Ephesians speaks first of the hope of the calling. But then in 14, notice what he says who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Who are we as Christians? We are God's own special people. We're God's inheritance. He finds value in us. He finds worth in us. And whatever we do for His cause, whenever we speak up for His name, whenever we live our life by His faith, friends, He 
is appreciative and places a value upon that. You know, in John the 10th chapter, when Jesus called himself the good shepherd, you remember who owned those sheep? He said, they're my sheep. He said, they know my voice and I know their name. It breaks our heart when we see a young person maybe raised in such a way that they think nobody cares. Or maybe to see someone married to a spouse that has been abusive and their self-esteem has been eroded away. Or maybe to be in a family or a work environment or whatever it is that over time makes someone believe that they have no worth. Friends, I beg you tonight, if you're a child of God, realize the gift that God considers you. You are a part of His inheritance. And finally, in Ephesians, the first chapter, let's notice the fourth thing that he says coming out of verse 19. Continuing this sentence, this prayer that he's praying, he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Notice here at the beginning of 19 that it was his exceeding greatness of his power toward us. God wants to work in an exceedingly powerful way in our lives. I don't think we're talking about miracles here. I think we're talking about the difference that it makes whenever we become a partner with God. What can you do alone? Maybe quite a bit. What could you do living your life for God? Living by faith living by His instruction, and then living prospered in all of the ways that He can prosper us. I don't know what all we could do if we truly lived in the fullness of the faith that God offers us and the power that He offers us. You know, there's another prayer. At least He implies that it's a prayer. Look over in Ephesians, the third chapter. You see in the third chapter in verse 14, When he says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is another thought that is on Paul's mind that says, this drives me to my knees. I have to pray about this one. And he is praying about God working in us. And I want you to notice how 20 and 21 sums up uh, this prayer. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He can do more than we could ever think to ask for. If we allow Him to work in us. If we'll just ask, He'll do a lot more than we ask. If we allow His power to work in us. Now notice this summary here of where this is really manifested. 21. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. His prayer was that they would know the power that's being offered to them. More than God, than we would ever ask, God can prosper. But the whole question is, are we willing to be partners with God? 
Christ living in us and us living in Christ. Willing to be a part of things that are greater than if we just did them alone. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was in a gospel meeting in Jacksonville, Alabama. Jacksonville Church of Christ is a congregation of about 175 people. What could a church of 175 people do? What if they did more than what anyone would ever ask? They wouldn't even think to ask it. But what if they continued to dream? That little church of 175 every year puts out a little book about this thick. And it is full of the goals that they will strive to accomplish in that year. They've been doing that for about 15 years now. There's not hardly anyone in that church that's wealthy. But over the last 15 years, their contribution has tripled and almost quadrupled. Now, no one 15 years ago would have thought that was possible. That was more than what you could ask or think. They also decided back about 15 years ago that they would start a little publication that they would mail into every home in their community. But then they thought, what if we could do that in other counties? And then they thought, what if we could get other churches to participate in this? That little church now puts out the publication... It comes out six times a year, and each issue exceeds USA Today and its volume. We use it, it's house to house. It's not some mega church that touches more people per issue than USA Today. It's a little church that decided they would be used in God's power and they'd do their part. They would dream big. It's just that God dreamt bigger than what they dreamed. They're ranked in the top 20 of publications in America today. I love Mount Juliet Church of Christ. I'm amazed at the faith, the love, the good that is being done. But I honestly don't believe we've begun to tap into what God has got in store for us. I hope we all, over the next few weeks, will pray fervently this very same prayer for ourselves. There aren't a lot of churches of Christ in the brotherhood larger than us you just take the whole number and look at the top 8 to 10 percent. Who's going to reach the world? How much good could 8 or 900 people do if all 8 or 900 prayed, partnered with God, and expected more than what they planned? 
Friends, let's be a part of God's work. Let's be fervent. Let's be faithful. Let's love. Let's know Him. Let's know the hope of His calling. Let's know His riches. And let's know His power. Not for our glory, but for His glory. Tonight, do you know God? Do you know Him as your Savior? Are you comfortable tonight putting your head on the pillow knowing that the hope of your calling is reserved for you? If not, please don't leave here without making that reservation. Sealing your faith and your commitment to God before you leave here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, willing to repent of sins and confess that Jesus is the Son of God, won't you be baptized tonight? Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've lost the way. Wouldn't tonight be a wonderful time to come home to make your calling and election sure? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.